The Lord be with you and also with you. Friends, would you open up your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 10? 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Sometime back, um, I told someone that our church isn't that impressive. Um, my friend kind of laughed nervously, and I said, no, really, it is not all that impressive. I went on to explain that I know, I know of some very impressive churches in this area and even beyond. I've attended some very impressive churches. I, I could give you a list. These churches have some fancy audio-visual kind of systems. They have smoke machines. They have live bands that rival any kind of rock band. The pastor is sleek. He's cool. He's sexy. They've made uh, the list of Church Relevance Magazine's top churches in America or Outreach Magazine's fastest growing or uh, largest churches. But the reality is, I told my friend that Nobody, nobody comes to Missio Day Church for those reasons. We've got other things going for us, trust me. But being impressive is not at the top of our list. And that's not a problem, is it? Except that some, sometimes we feel, and I'll admit, sometimes I feel that maybe we should actually be far more impressive than we really are. What, what would it look like to have an amazing backdrop, a, a building that is sleek and cool, that has coffee machines? We can get an espresso where the pastor is it's kind of hip and trendy. Should we be playing that game? And my friends, this morning, the Apostle Paul is going to be addressing that very topic. So would you please stand for me uh, so that we can read the word of God together? And before we, before we read, let's come before him and pray. Let's pray. Father, with our Bibles open before us, we come and ask for your help. That the spirit of God would illumine the the printed page to us that our minds would be alert and open to its truth, that our lives will be quick to welcome it and obey it and live in the light of it. Help us, O oh Lord, in both the speaking and in the listening to do so in such a way that honors and glorifies you, the living God. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. My friends, would you hear the word of the Lord as heard from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I, Paul, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who I am, who am humble when I come face to face with you, but bold when I am away. I beg of you, that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging floor war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh 
but have the divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Look at what is before our eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening with you, with frightening you with my letters. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter, when absence, absent, we do when, we, when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But, we will not boast beyond limits, but we'll boast according only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond our limit in, in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord for it is not the one who com commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, the Corinthian church knew the power of charismatic leadership. A group of leaders had come to the church, and they were very, very impressive. They, they, they were powerful. They were prestigious. They were well-connected. They had letters of, of recommendation endorsing their ministries. They had enjoyed visionary experiences with God. They had come a long way to be with the Corinthian church, and they were skilled speakers. In the next chapter, Paul is going to call them super apostles. What a title. These guys were powerful and they were successful. And then there was Paul. Here's what people were saying about Paul. They were saying that he's humble face to face, but he was bold when he was away. 
He roars like a lion in his letters, but he is absolutely pitiful when he is in person. The Corinthian church, uh, the Corinthians were far more impressed with the powerful leaders than they were with an ordinary run-of-the-mill guy like the Apostle Paul. Don Carson describes this problem like this. He says, in short, the Corinthians were quick to seize every emphasis in Christianity that spoke or seemed to speak of spiritual power, of exaltation with Christ, of freedom, of triumph, of victorious living, of leadership and religious success. But, but they neglected or suppressed those accents in Christianity that stressed meekness, servanthood, obedience, humility, and the need to follow Christ in his suffering if one is to follow him in his crown. Carson goes on to say, they glimpsed, they glimpsed what Christ had done yet failed to contemplate what remained to be done. They understood the D-Day that had arrived, but mistook it as V-Day. They loved Christian triumphalism, but they did not know how to live underneath the sign of the cross. Here is the real issue, and it's a question that we all have to, have to wrestle with. What do we look for when we are looking for a good church? And it's one of the most important questions that you and I could ever answer. How do we find a good church? What is our criteria for finding a good, gospel-centered, Jesus-loving, Bible-preaching church? And I'm glad that Paul helps us out in this passage. In this passage, Paul gives us three qualities to look for in a good church. And I'm going to give these to you today because I want this to shape the kind of church that we are, the kind of church that Missio Dei longs to be. So some of you who are watching this sermon on YouTube are looking for a church. You happen to be finding yourself perusing uh, the YouTube channels and listening and desiring to find a church. You may have wandered in on this YouTube channel just to check us out. And I think that today's passage may help you because it will give you some things to think about as you are on a search for meaning, a purpose, of hope, and for a community of believers to join yourself to. Some of you, I hope all of you who call yourself members, love this church. You, you, you're a part of this church, and I love that you are a part of this church. I love this church, and it breaks my heart that I am doing this in front of a camera instead of doing this face-to-face -face with you. I love our church. I can't believe that I have the awesome privilege, the awesome privilege of being a part of it. And if you're a part of this church, then this passage will help you and me to stay on track so that we know what to emphasize and we know what to ignore. 
So this passage is relevant for all of us. And here's what Paul tells us. Paul is saying, do not, my friends, do not look for a flashy ministry. Instead, look for these three qualities. Here's the first. Look for leaders who are gentle like Jesus. I I, I think that point alone is enough right? It just preaches for itself. But one of the criticisms that Paul, that was against Paul was that he was way too humble in person. He wasn't overbearing. In his first letter, he wrote that he was, when he was with them, he was with them in fear, in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. And my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom. That's from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Man, my words are weak. There's not much to me. But hold that in contrast to those super apostles who seemed to have it all together. And you've probably met somebody who is quite like this. You you can almost feel when they, they walk into the room, the whole electricity of the room changes. All the voices hush as so-and-so walks into the room. They have a presence that could almost fill the room. They have a charismatic kind of presence. And in this passage, Paul makes it clear that meekness and gentleness matter more than charisma. Let me say that again. Meekness and gentleness matter more than charisma. So when you're looking for a church, look for leaders who are meek and gentle. Why? Because, man, that is who Christ, what Christ is like. Did you pick that up in verse 1? I, Paul, myself, I entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. He's not gentle by temperament. He's gentle because he is modeling his ministry after Jesus. So don't get the wrong idea about Paul. Paul knew how to be bold in person as well. He just wants to avoid being that kind of person. He would much rather be gentle in his tone towards them. He wants to be father-like towards them. In in verse 2, it says, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show, have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing uh, against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. Paul, Paul was not scared to confront. He wasn't afraid of people. That was just his last resort, though. He wanted to be gentle with them, just as Jesus is gentle with him, just as Jesus is gentle with us. But contrast that with the the abusive leaders, the powerful leaders. And in chapter 11, we are going to read of some of the abusive practices that they were employing. But let me just read them for you. They're found in verses 19 and 20 through uh, 21 of chapter 11. For I gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For 
You bear it if someone takes, makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. I have to admit it. I could never understand this. Why would anyone put up with leaders who would treat them that way? Why would a church put up with the kind of leadership that is abusive, that is controlling, that is manipulative, that is all about pumping themselves up as opposed to gentleness and meekness and service? But I get it. In the conversations that I've had with some of my friends, some of my smart friends who have, who have worked underneath abusive leaders for a long time, I've listened to them about their stories. Why do they put up with it? Well, here's one reason. Because often abusive leaders get things done. They get things done or else heads are going to roll. They, 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 my friends have overlooked a lot of the warning signs because the, the abusive leaders were actually quite successful. They were quite impressive. One observer by the name of Scott McKnight wrote in an article in Christianity Today, he said this, leaders ma matter, period. Leaders matter because they become embodied in the culture they lead. And the bigger the culture, the more significant the leader. Let's face it, agrees McKnight. In some of these megachurches, the celebrity factor is so powerful that without them, the place collapses. He goes on to say, I've been in a megachurch in Pennsylvania where the pastor was gentle, loving, caring, and a godly leader. It was a big church that was healthy as it could be because the pastor knew what he was doing in creating a culture of grace. And I've been in other churches, of course, where it was a controlling pastor with a controlling culture. I do not think that it was all it is at all taking a cheap shot to say that this was what was happening at Mars Hill. Mars Hill churches in Seattle, Washington. I think that he, the leader, Mark Driscoll at that time, had elements of toxicity in his character that were amplified as the system grew bigger. This is going to be the great, a great lesson for church leadership during the next 20 to 30 years. So that's the first quality to be looking for. Look for leaders who are gentle like Jesus because the way that they lead will become embodied in the culture that they lead, the culture that is developed there at that local church. But here's the second thing. Look for a church that helps you overcome the lies that the world tells you. Let me say it again. Look for a church that helps you overcome the lies that the world tells you. This is so important. 
and, the, and it's counterintuitive. It's, it's easy for a church, any church, any church that is out there, including our church, to follow culture. If we're not, if we're not careful, churches can become mirrors of, of the culture that surrounds them. We can value the same exact things that the culture values. But when the church follows the culture, it never transforms the culture. Let me say that again. When the church follows the culture, it never, it never transforms the culture. Let, let me give you an example. Right now, our culture preaches a, a very religious, if you will, religious message of, of a radical individualism. Honestly, COVID-19 is really confronting this radical individualism very right, right head on. But the, the message of radical individualism is this. Be true to yourself. You must get in touch with yourself. Find yourself. Live a life that is authentically you. Live however you like as long as you do not interfere with anybody else's right to live as they please. You be you. David Brooks in his, his book, The Stockton Mountain, wrote this. Listen to this. It's easy for churches to copy this message. Churches then echo the false gospel of culture rather than the gospel of of Jesus. But as one recent writer observes, it's not working. Our society has become a conspiracy against joy. We've been we've seen a shocking rise of mental illness, suicide, and distrust. The answers our society gives take all the difficulties of living and makes them worse. They are floundering in a formless desert. Not only do we not give them a compass, but we take a bucket of sand and throw it all over their heads. So what's the alternative? Paul gives us an alternative. He says it in verses five to six. We destroy arguments, and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Paul's challenging the way that the Corinthian church had, has been co-opted by the world's values. He's gentle, but he is saying that he is going to fight he is going to fight to destroy the opinions and the thoughts that are against the knowledge of God so that, ultimately so that the Corinthian church takes every thought captive to obey Christ who is their Lord and Savior. My friends, don't look for charismatic leaders. Look for gentle leaders. And don't look for churches that mimic the culture around them, 
Look for a church that helps you spot the lies that the world is telling you so that you can believe the truth, the powerful, life-changing truth of Jesus Christ. But here's a third thing that Paul is telling us. He is saying, my friends, look for a church that boasts in the right things. Look for a church that boasts for the right in the right things. Listen, boasting in itself is not wrong. But what matters in boasting is what you are boasting about. What is it? That is at the center, at the core of your boasting. And these super apostles were boasting about all of the wrong things. They were all about measuring and comparing themselves to, to other people. And man, do I fall into that trap sometime. I compare myself to other pastors, to other churches. Man, that's exactly what the super apostles were doing. In verses 13 to 16, they seem to be boasting about how far they had traveled to come to Corinth. They had set up their, their own subjective standards of excellence, their, their training and rhetoric, their, their speaking fees, their ex, ecstatic experiences, their commendations, their awards, and so on. And then they judged themselves according to those standards. They knew, these guys knew how to market themselves and market their successes. But not Paul. Paul Paul's going to spend a lot of time talking about boasting in, in the remainder of this, this letter. So we are going to spend a lot of time in the upcoming weeks talking about boasting, but but we get a hint of what he's going to say in today's passage. Verses 17 to 18. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Here's the bottom, bottom line, friends. The only thing, the only thing that a church has to boast about is Jesus. A good church, a good church never boasts about how cool or how great or how wonderful, how amazing they are. My friends, that, that is absolutely lame. We we are nothing but a bunch of imperfect, sinful people who need God desperately. We have one thing going for us. And it's, my friends, it's not me. The one thing that we have going for us is Jesus. We have one message. We have one message to, to be talking about, to be declaring, to be sharing, to be spreading around. And that one message is about Jesus. We are not a big deal, but he 